The Sidebar Podcast is made possible thanks to Rye Fucking Smiles. Rye Fucking Smiles are the only condescension certified smiles on the market. You heard it from your ex-girlfriend and that smug ethics professor. Now, hear it from me. Rye Fucking Smiles are in vogue and are fucking back. They're smarter than you, and they know it. Why don't you? Maybe because you don't have a wry fucking smile. So turn that frown upside down and judge someone today. Wry fucking smiles. Moron. You're in the candy shop, trying to make those panties drop, when you realize... They're out of gummy peaches. Welcome to the sidebar. I'm Sebastian Morales, filling in for Clint Myers Novak, who is currently applying for a dishwasher repairman job at Sears. Guitar World is a monthly music magazine devoted to guitarists. It contains interviews, album and gear reviews, and song tablature. Today, I'm joined by Andy Slaughter Kittleberg, who is contributing article I'm Just Riffin, Tales from the Tour, covers stories from the road with upcoming bands and under-the-radar festivals. Andy, welcome to the sidebar. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice nice to be here, finally. Now, you've been a, a tough get for the sidebar. You've been on tour pretty much for the last year and a half. Oh, yeah. Uh, and your uh, tour just ended uh, a couple days ago. Now, tell us, uh, what are you coming off of? Uh, what what's out there? Where where are you? Where are you now? Well, uh, currently I'm actually in Toronto, uh, which is a pretty pretty nice little town. Uh, I I end up there every few months. Uh, kind of you know, everyone everyone comes through at some point comes through Toronto. Um, if you're in music, you you end up in Toronto. It's Nashville, Toronto, and sometimes it's Rome. I uh, wasn't I wasn't aware uh, Toronto was a a big music hub. Oh, it's a huge music hub. Yeah, it's all the it's it's kind of the secondary uh, North American music capital. Like, if you are in rock, metal, the genre, uh, if you are in the scene, then that is the first place you gotta conquer in order to move on to the next, the big leagues. And so I'm coming off the uh, the 2018 Inferno tour, which is just all of the best under you know like scoped out bands that are coming up and that's where a lot of like record labels are and a lot of people are there just to kind of check the place out and so i'm here with my with my band and we're just oh your band yeah so was your band in the inferno tour yeah i was under the impression you were following the festival but you're you're following it and you're in it well, I mean, I follow the festivals that I'm also in, so I sometimes, you know, I'm sometimes following other bands while in my band, and I'm sometimes following my band. Well, you you essentially, uh, you you sub in when a when a musician uh, can't make their gig. Yeah. And so you're sort of the understudy to all of the bands. Every single band that you see on stage, on tour, anywhere, I can play whatever they need me to. And you were subbing in for which band, uh, and what happened to, to the the drummer fell ill. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, for that one, it was a honor. I was playing for Venom, and one of their uh, they were headlining the whole thing. And this is this is Christian rock. This is Christian rock. Uh, it's yeah. This this it's Canadian Christian rock to be uh, more specific. It's a different genre of Christian rock. Yeah. Less rock, more Christian. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of the kind of cool part about Canadian Christian rock is they're getting back to their Christian roots, and mm-hmm. I think that the the Christian the Christian church has kind of branched out to do a lot of different things. And you know, I don't you know, I don't subscribe, but uh, I'm I'm there. I'm a fan of the music, and it's good music, even if they're talking about Jesus and stuff. Now, tell me about flame th- your band flamethrower oh man uh that is probably the heaviest hitting band that i've been with uh since that, i've been touring this uh, is the band that you're currently this with. is the band i'm currently in uh and so we got uh 
Mikey Domination. He's the lead singer, and uh, he's he's a friend of mine. We we go we go back to school, high school. Actually, we went to high school together. And where where did you go to high school? Uh, we went to high school in uh, Harvard, Connecticut. I don't I don't know it personally, but if it's, it's in a, if it's in Connecticut, uh, that's as close to Canada as I I could find uh, vibe wise. Yeah, yeah. I well, I I would have to agree. I think that's why I just got used to Toronto because you know. I'm already up there, basically, and if all I have to do is take a train to go up to Canada and, and put on some uh, some some sweaty pants and some some uh, bigger wool shirts, and then just become more like slightly more Christian to fit into the rock world, then that's what I'm gonna do. Even in the summertime, you wear that. That's all Canadians wear that at all times. The the Canadian tux, the jean on jean, no one wears that. It's Nobody just, wears that. It's just heavy wool. That's an American myth. That's an Amer. It's like you know Mexican food, tacos, not real. Tacos All, aren't real. Tacos aren't real outside of America. Like what we know to be Mexican food is only from America, and so what we know to be the Canadian tuxedo, that's not what it is. Well, um, I I beg to differ in a way because not two weeks ago, our beloved researcher at the Internet, Harper was on uh, vacation in Mexico and uh, a Oaxacan grasshopper taco wasn't uh, fully dead and it bit her lip pretty bad and she got an infection and she was in a Mexican Oaxacan infirmary where she uh, developed a MRSA infection. Mm, yeah, I've been, I've actually been through one of those. I went to Guadalajara with, uh, with one of my, with a band a few years back. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was uh, Satan's brutal torture machine, and we just went through all of Mexico, uh, spreading the word of death metal, and uh, that was that was a fun one because uh, something you don't know about Mexican death metal is it's actually very happy, and they're all really happy to be up there, and it sounds like death and like all heavy metal. I think it gets a bad rap because everybody thinks it sounds like death and decay but we're really talking about quinceañeros and we're mm -hmm. talking about throwing like pinatas around when it's in mexico and i just if people took the time to just break down the song i think everybody would would really relate you know well you are a pinata band and uh, you like to load your pinatas with all kinds of different candies and uh sometimes you like to change it up and sometimes what do you put in there uh, to keep your audience on their toes? Well, sometimes we put in firecrackers, firecrackers. and then we just hit the pinatas into the audience. And, and they're then, lit. Are they lit firecrackers? Oh, absolutely. They explode on contact. Like, and they and and do people get hurt? Well, no. Yes, some people have gotten burned slightly, uh, and I, I think that that comes with the the territory of being at a death metal concert because you know you're. You're putting yourself out there, and anything can happen, really. So I, I just go with the punches or with the burns. Uh, and we also, we a couple of them, we put live scorpions in and just chucked pinatas at bands we didn't like. We, like, threw them up on stage, and, and the, pinatas, the pinatas were received as gifts. And then we just watched them open the pinatas and the horror that comes across their faces as they're just crawled over with these like dangerous dangerous killer animals and you know i just i think it's the best way to kind of play some mind games is just a gift like a trojan horse but a, a death metal pinata i i sort of see um you know i got out of the pinata game years ago but uh, if i was still in it i think uh i would relate a little more to just the the pinata whacking strategy because you like to sing the contents out of the pinata you're a screamer and you're a guitar player now uh getting back to your contribution to guitar world and your monthly article just yeah. just riffing uh tell us about some of the bands that you're on tour with this past tour oh man okay so um well one of the most recent tours i did was the last year of the Vans Warp Tour, and I am so 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 sad that this thing is going because it, it it really was one of the best ways to meet other bands, and you would meet so many different people there. And it's been going on for twenty three years, 
and I've been at every single one. Uh, the last band that I was there with was Punch Stalker in the Face, and that band was a great band because you know it was just three of us just thrashing and just shredding all up and down the stage. And I, I myself, I went back to my roots. I had my axe in one hand and my bass in the other, and I was just double, double fisting the 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 chords. And when you say axe, you don't actually mean a guitar. You mean an actual axe. I had a real axe, a fire axe that I was just chopping up, up the wood of the stage and, as I was going. And you're an advocate for uh, tree chopping because you say when you record the tree screams. It's sort of a new take on, on metal, uh, metal on wood. Look, everything, what people don't understand is that everything creates sound. Everything has a natural vibration. And when you cut down a tree in a forest, it does make a sound. It screams for its life because trees are alive. And I think that there is nothing more metal than life itself from the earth being pulled up and emanated into the world. Like, being able to to destroy something so big and powerful, mm-hmm. that that is what metal is all about. Just taking down the structures of man. And your your album uh, "Screaming at Trees" actually influenced M Night Shyamalan. Oh yeah, the happening. Yeah, that was that, that was, was indirectly we... because of you and your band. Now you're not giving credit. M Night Shyamalan uh, says that oh well, you know, ideas are. Once you think of an idea, it's out there in the zeitgeist and it's up for grabs, essentially. But uh, you had, it wasn't a lawsuit, but it was a cease and desist. Yeah. Uh, well, and, I mean, he started writing that. We we looked up the first draft and the first draft was literally a week after the album came out. And we even talked about one of the uh, songs in the album was called The Trees Are Doing It. And it was talking about the trees killing humanity and i i mean he just ripped that he got mark Wahlberg on board and he made what i think was a subpar tribute because it wasn't faithful to the source material no now you did something interesting instead of actually taking him to court uh, a court did rule in your favor that you were allowed to uh replicate his his film uh, word for word and scene for scene since there was so much similarities between the two. So you made your own movie yeah, that is shot for shot with different actors uh, and it's a musical. So it's it's the happening the musical. It, the entire thing is sung and the entire thing is in death metal. It's death metal, but the trees sing. The trees are so just th- These are the around. hardest trees, right? Only the hardest wood, right? Uh, Oak, I think, is right. What kind of trees did you use? What was the? I mean, oak is a good one. We use cherry. We use mostly willow because the the what I've found in trees is that the softer the leaves, the harder the core. And you found out that it was a myth that the willows weep. They don't weep. They they yell. They thrash. They thrash. They yell and they pummel. So you were in a forest and you uh, you filmed this this concert movie. Mm-hmm. And you were on tour with the band's Warp Tour, and you were performing as you were covering and writing for some yep. of the other bands. And some of these bands are newcomers to the scene. They look up to you. Yeah, they do. And why? What separates Slaughter from uh, other established musicians, metal heads and, and gearheads and, uh, you know, motherfuckers? Well, I mean, Andy Slaughter Kittleberg is that that's a name in the, the metal world world i am i am a name and that's just brand recognition comes with a little bit of a a, a perk so if uh for if maybe a, a band comes up uh pig's blood on mondays that was a band from the tour they they showed up at our our filming and they were like slaughter and i looked at them i said yeah boys and they said okay how um how do we make ourselves and i just want to interrupt you because the uh you said, yeah, boys, but it's actually four women named Carrie. It is all of them named Carrie, uh, and spelled different, each and every one. Well, but, you have to stand out in some way. Right. So, uh, they stop, I, so they stop you? They stop me. They ask, how do we stand out? I said, look, boys, 
there's only a couple ways that you can make yourself marketable. You either got to be good or you got to be big. And pig's blood on Mondays, they're not very good. So I told them to get big. So the only way they could do that is by getting real people and hanging them on meat hooks and swinging them back and forth like a pendulum while they're playing. You know, to remind the audience of the passage of time and how we all have to take each moment by moment. And I think the important thing to remember about the Slaughter brand is that I do some stuff that other people might deem irresponsible or grotesque, but it's all in the name of, you know, education to a point. Like, I want people to learn how to live their lives fully. And you collect stop signs. Now, on the road, you're known for just plucking one out. I don't think anybody should ever stop, ever. And that's part of your uh, your mantra, right? Don't stop. Don't stop. And, and you're muttering that to yourself all the time. And you actually, uh, you actually haven't stopped in eight months, really. You, you don't sleep. Well, well, I shouldn't say you don't sleep, but you walk as you sleep. You actually, you're sort of like... I the, just like meditate. A, you're I like just... a land shark. Yeah, because sharks don't don't stop to sleep; they just drift as they sleep. Mm-hmm. So I, sometimes you find yourself in strange areas. I just meditate deeply as I'm going, and a lot of times it's up to my publicist or my bandmates or or uh, someone who I'm working with to guide me. And sometimes they lose track. So at one point, uh, I was doing a show in Madrid, and I woke up in Morocco, and I don't know how I got across the the ocean but i did and i woke up in morocco and i woke up in uh uh a bazaar in the casbah in the casbah hanging from a meat hook and that's how i got the idea that would later give me my name of slaughter right right and 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 your first album flies in the hole came directly from the meat hook it did because you know when you're up there for so long, I was up there. Some people told me for 36 hours straight. And, and this is some... a Moroccan meat hook. This is not to be confused with the New Jersey meat hook. And those things, like the Moroccan meat hook, is a bit dirtier and longer. And I was in uh, the Caspar in Morocco. Is is I don't want to say unclean, but it's not clean. Uh, it's a filthy shithole. It is. It is a. Oh, it's disgusting. It's just. In my experience, of, in my experience, uh, nothing is a, a big has a bigger hole or is filthier than the Moroccan Casbah. And I, I looked around and I just saw these people were like flies on the wall in this filthy shithole, and I also felt flies in the hole where the meat hook had left had had gone into my skin, and I just thought, you know what, this would be a really really sick album name and then i just did it i just did it and i got my band together i got my band lucifer's distortion and we just made that album and you are you're hellbound on success you are it's obviously a niche market uh metal isn't as mainstream as it was say in the, in the early 80s yeah i i i think i got on i was you know, one of the, I was a big fan of, of, uh, death obituary. Some of the, uh, early, early bands, the pioneers. And I got on after, you know, death kind of started to slope down and it just, it was something that I always loved to do. And I have always loved. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it has its, its place anymore. You know, we've moved on to pop and we've moved on to to other things and that's just not those are flat you know you can't go around sacrificing people to pop like that's not you can't you can't light someone on fire to pop like it doesn't work well it doesn't work in in the sense that it's not um you're not going to find it on the radio you have to it's a grassroots campaign you have to get out there with your band you have to find these people, and, and a lot of places that you've been playing at are Bible camps, yeah, um, churches, youth picnics, uh, your 
not neo-Nazi organizations, but I wouldn't. You know, it's known that that these type of groups, even though you don't support these groups, no. these type of groups listen to your music and it sort of motivates them. Yeah, I, I don't like to uh, align myself with neo-Nazis, especially in in any time period, but especially in this time period where they're becoming actually a thing again. But uh, death metal has been given a bad, you know, again, a bad rap because it, it belongs to a certain sect of people. And I'm trying to make it available to all people. You know, if, if, uh, if you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, you should be able to just enjoy some death metal. And you don't... Uh... You don't believe in praying the gay away. You believe in, in screaming the gay away. Well, the only way you're going to change is if you exert so as much emotion as it takes to keep it in. So you'll go to these, these conversion camps with your band, and you will just scream the gayness right out of these campers. I Where does and, it go? And I, I scream at the campers, and... So again, sound waves have an effect on human bodies, and if you hit a perfect resonance with the person's soul or with the person's like frame, it blows certain parts of their being away. Like you can literally get blown away. And so we just play and scream until we hit a note that just pops out the gay part like a Jenga block. And you have these uh a gayness containment unit, sort of like Ghostbusters. So when when it pops the gayness out, you slide the little contraption under, and it 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 heart, it it keeps the gayness. And so you have a, a a gay container that you have in your in your band's uh, I, firehouse. I even have a, a warp reactor on the end of my guitar. That the more I play, the faster I play, it charges it up, so that when the gay finally pops out. We can rope it down and then bring it into the box. No. And yeah, we have a firehouse. Uh, it's my own firehouse, complete with a fire pole, two two decks, and we got our own car. And aren't you worried that uh, that unit isn't sustainable? Aren't you worried that uh, somebody from the EPA is going to come by and make you shut it down, and it'll just release all the gayness out into into what city? Where where is your home base? Now you're you're talking my, to us. I'm from I'm currently Toronto. in Toronto, but my home base is in Topeka, Kansas. In Topeka, so aren't you worried that you're just going to unleash all the gayness onto Topeka, Kansas? Uh, you know, I don't think the EPA is interested. They've called a couple times, uh, but Scott and I are on great terms. And as far as you know, the gayness goes, it's not going to break out anytime soon. And we we haven't been able to recreate. A containment unit so we're pretty much down to one and we're we're hitting capacity so i am expecting um uh, a, a breakout of so because the the gayness uh some of the gayness mates are starting to conspire and they throw riots every once in a while um and conditions down there are not great but we're just gonna keep it doing what we're doing um and because we do make money off of a lot of these uh, these uh, exorcisms, for lack of a, you know, that's that's pretty much what they, they gayness exorcisms. Uh, and I'm just trying to rope down all of the gay that I can. And at some point, we're going to have to find a better way of doing things. Tell me about Zul. The Sumerian demigod. Yeah, he, he's, I mean, he's Sumerian, exactly. Like, I, actually, my 14th album, Zul's Sacrifice. Well, that, that's what I was referring to. I didn't think that you were actually speaking to a deceased uh, demigod. Oh, no, that, a, that album is a direct plea. Defunct civilization. That, that album is a direct plea to Zul to return in order to correct our society. It's, it's. The whole the entire thing is a prayer, and if you actually play it backwards... It's the theme to the 80s cartoon Gummy Bears. Yep, the whole Bouncing the whole thing. here and there and everywhere, Gummy Bears. And you gotta play it in 14 times speed backwards, too, in order to get the actual... Because the theme song's like 24 seconds, and the whole album 
is like, you know, eight, uh, 46 minutes. It's fall, and that can only mean one thing. Hot, squishy pumpkin farts. Luckily, there's your diapies. Yes, your diapies. Your diapies delivers the Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur where you need it most. And best of all, they're cheap. For the most reliable adult diapers on the market, your diapies. For the kosher in your knish, your diapies. Your diapies. When other diapers won't do. Support for the Sidebar Podcast is also brought to you by Plates for Rent, the unsung hero of the sandwich, the underdog under your dog, the porcelain platform of perfection. You're on board, aren't you? Of course you're not. Your plate. Hey, who's going to do the dishes now that the missus is out of the kitchen? Hey, hey, Addy? Addy, who, who wrote this? You wrote this? No? I'll just do it. I'll just do it. No one. That's who. You. So, why bother? Save the soap. Rent a dish. Plates for rent. There are plates for rent. Enter offer code rental plate for a 20% plate rental rental plate plate rental rental plate. Tell me more about shredding. Tell me about just the zone that you get into when you're playing and your your approach to uh, to playing. Well, uh, in my life, I've had two true loves: uh, my wonderful wife Rebecca, and then shredding. And shredding is it's kind of a upper mind space where you you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Rebecca. Rebecca. Hmm. Now, see our our beloved researcher, the Internati Harper, just handed me a note, uh, and. It says that your wife's name is actually uh, Dragon's Blood. Oh, yeah. She has gotten that from also her time shredding. Uh, that was, she legally changed it to Dragon's Blood back in 2014. And she's, she holds the world record for shredding the most amount of documents at one time. Now, she's not a musician, no. but because you have the shredding similarities, you two met on the Shredding World Tour and, uh, so tell us about how, I guess, tell me how her approach to shredding inspires your approach. Well, uh, the Shredding World Tour, to give a little bit about, a little history about how we get there, uh, we met. The Shredding World Tour is, it's kind of a, a expo, almost, of all the different shredders of the world. And that's music, that's machine that's uh, anybody who's shredding paper, anybody who's shredding uh, people's thoughts, minds, you know, souls. They're like, uh, it's like a combination of a TED Talk and a concert. Exactly. Uh, and so Rebecca Dragon's Blood and my band at the time, Cannibal Nihilism, uh, we were playing together on the same stage uh, and we were rocking out uh, playing our most famous song cello bass drop 20 cello bass drop 20 yeah well i mean i got started one of my first one of my first instruments was the cello so you're so this is now this is a death metal band this is a death metal but band. you're playing the cello at that point i was playing an electric cello and did your wife rebecca the dragon's blood join the band with her paper shredder she was paper shredding as fast as she could and she actually kept up pages per minute with beats per minute and we were going like 95 beats per minute and she was just jamming in those pages as fast as they would go and there was a point where the sounds just commingled and just coalesced so that everyone in the room just started vibrating and instantly had heart palpitations and massive hospital events and you weren't intimidated by her because she shreds the gnar pretty pretty hard oh she does she um, does tell me about the gnar uh the gnar is a very difficult uh paperwork assembly machine and it is uh with or disassembly machine uh the gnar is actually looks more like a wood chipper but it turns the paper into a fine powder yeah and you can just 
sniff it off of whatever you want. You can sniff it, but you can also snowboard on it. And so she shreds on that on her snowboard. And it's pretty profitable, right? You started a, uh, a gnar business. A snowmaking, a snowmaking, a snowmaking business, but right. we call it shred the gnar. So it's the sort of thing where uh, we would, or she would, uh, work for a big company doing uh, fraudulent loans out to many different uh, home buyers that were unstable. And then she would turn around, shred those documents, and create a paid-for paradise vacation for the employees. And you figured out how to take the, uh, the shredded documents, the snow, and uh, you actually fashion uh, guitars out of them. Sort of like fiberglass, but it's more fine than fiberglass. It is the finest, the finest glass. Uh, it's it's almost glass. It's because glass is basically sand heat heat blasted, and when you heat blast paper, it just kind of lights on fire. So you gotta you gotta quickly scrub the ashes up, and so it comes up this like black charred, this wicked hell blazed uh, material. So I've called it Capers Fowl, and it just welds into this nice, and it bends, and it it kind of curls up, and it looks like a bunch of claw, small claws just gripping into each other. And what do you use for strings? Uh, we find the biggest Palomino horses that we can, and we just pluck their tails one at a time, and then string them together and, and coil them. See, that's interesting. You know, uh, when I was a little boy in Chile, uh, our guitar strings were actually made from human hair. Um, they were plucked from the scalped remains of our relatives. That's pretty hardcore. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget uh, the sweet music that we played on those strings uh, to mask, you know, the sound of, of the tears in our village. But uh, to getting back to the tour, now before the Vans Warp Tour, uh, you know, well, let's talk about uh, some of the bands that you've discovered, where you discovered them, yeah, what yeah, they yeah. were doing. Great. Uh, I mean, I think my most famous band that I discovered, and this was when I was writing, not playing. The most famous band I discovered discovered was Chili Con Carne, uh, and this was a few kids who were living out of a. Uh, they were they were living in Eagle Rock in Los Angeles. And uh, that's that's near you, right? Uh, it is, yeah. Now, if, if my notes from our beloved researcher, the Internati Harper, are correct, they were living in the back of a Tommy Burger, just eating chili, yeah. surviving on on day old, two day old, day chili. old, two day old chili. Uh, they were working at sometimes working at the Tommy Burger whenever there was someone who was too young to work at the Tommy yeah, Burger, but they, nonetheless working at the Tommy Burger. They were, you know, 15, 16 years old, and I found them, and I, I was like, you guys, you guys need need help. So uh, something something that, you know, underprivileged kids are kind of a soft spot for me, so I just, I just took up a guitar, and I said, hey, if you want to learn how to play, uh, come over to Uncle Slaughter's house, and I'll just give you a couple lessons. And uh, so... I was in town for, you know, three weeks and we just kind of jammed out for that whole time. And then uh, a couple months later, I took them to their first tour and I made them cover themselves in the Tommy Burger chili and then just parade around while they're playing. And they actually got front cover Rolling Stone because they just, they made such an impression. Well, tell me about Egging Slash's house. That was a mistake on my part, and I'm so sorry, Slash, uh, because sometimes when you're on the road, you get you get you get lonely, and then you start to drink. Well, that was that was well. I guess Los Angeles for you is the road. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. That's not right. not for not for right. not for you. I mean, California is is way I'm I'm smack dab no, in the it's country. A, it's a it's a it's a large state, but for. For me, it's it's uh, it's just a mental prison that that knows no end. Now, now your egg slashed house slashes house. Yeah, I, that was actually on my third time in L.A. Uh, I was with another uh, another uh, 
group of kids who I was trying to make into a band. And this is in the early 90s. This is when Guns N' Roses was at their peak. And the fact that Slash was even home uh, was a shot in the dark. Yeah, I didn't realize he was uh, because not only did we egg his door, we actually egged his door right as he was opening his door to let his daughter go to prom. So we got her and her dress and her date and Slash all in one. And that's that's bingo. That's egg bingo right there. So I think it was the best egging and it was the worst egging. And it's common knowledge that Slash doesn't like anything oval. No, he he only likes things in very flat, long shapes, but not like oh, he hates long surfboards, uh, skateboards. He hates eggs. Uh, he hates people's heads. He that's why he wears he has so much hair to just hide the the shape of his own head. And so once those eggs started flying, his his, his fire got up in his eyes. Uh, and he actually tore a kid's limb off and beat him to death with it. And I think the biggest surprise of the chase was that he chased you down on a pogo stick. Yeah, I mean he he didn't he didn't want to get in a car because it it just would have taken too long. So he grabbed his pogo stick and he was doing front flips the whole way. Menacing. Oh yeah. If I mean, I'm not even to do able to do one front flip on. A pogo stick, but that that man had the core strength of a thousand gymnasts. And his hair didn't get caught in the gears or anything. He was just he always looks like that, doesn't he? He does. Even even when he was done uh ripping off that kid's arm and then his uh, beating him and then and then pogo sticking away and then landing on top of one of the fences of a neighbor and then howling at the moon, his hair was just perfect. Perfectly permed, perfectly down to past his shoulders, and he just he just looked at us, and we knew we were in the 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 presence of a legend. Now, tell me about uh, your band. Uh, you guys actually you made up slash guest played. I guess is that how you would say it on your on your album, and then he went on tour with you for a little bit uh, in the late '90s, and you actually found yourself in New Hampshire. Uh, battling a killer clown that had haunted your youth. Yeah, so that band was Revving Tiles Motorbike, and I I have never been more happy to be in a band because that one was just happenstance. We all met at the uh, Copacabana in New York and then just completely did four shots, decided we would be in a band, and then went on tour the next day. And Slash happened to be in town and... He and I instantly recognized each other and we decided to let bygones be bygones because it was a dark time in his life and it was a dark time in my life. And so we went on tour. And you have a lot in common because uh, you make your own guitars and Slash makes his own weapons. Yeah. And so we, that's actually how I got my signature axe because I made my own, I made my own Capers Foul guitar for Slash and then Slash made a personalized fire axe for me. And he, so he forged the axe himself. He did from the fiery depths of Jersey. And so this band, uh, now obviously you, to fund the band, you played uh, concerts, but you also had another purpose. Now you were out, you were, you know, you knew that there was this, this clown that was loose in, in New Hampshire yeah. And you had to, he had to be stopped. Now, how did you stop him? And how did Slash even know how to find him? So Slash actually, what people, what people probably know about Slash and what's pretty obvious about Slash is he has a pretty good animal instinct. Uh, and he can smell different emotions. And so he just turned on his, his, his hate his his hate emotion hate sensor his hate sensor but what happens when he turns it on is he like becomes that emotion so he was awful for this entire time and so when that when that sensor was on that attracted hillary swank yeah and And so she came to new hampshire and she joined you in the hunt she did and this was during uh she had just heard about the possibility of doing a million dollar baby for the first time it was a long time production so she was had just been training for boxing for weeks and so she was ready to really get into it. 
And so that's when it was still a 50k baby. That was yeah, it was it was, everything cost so much less back then. Like inflation is crazy. But she showed up and then so it was me, it was Slaughter, it was Slash, it was Hillary Swank, and it was Fire Blame. Fire Blame's my my friend Eddie. Right, Eddie. Uh who also goes by Ellen DeGeneres. And, and that and, became a kind of a conflict of interest a few years down when Ellen DeGeneres came to the scene. And Barney, the the big purple dinosaur. Again, he it was just, a motley crew you had. Yep. We we had we had a bunch of we had the original Barney. We had the original Ellen DeGeneres. And so we went out to New Hampshire. You and, also had that autistic kid that Makes those YouTube videos where he uh, makes paintings with his feet. Oh, you're talking about David Blaine's kid. I don't. I don't think that's who that is. I think David Blaine's kid is the magician that was also in your group. I think we're crossing it. Yes, he's oh. also he's also a painter, but he yeah, only yeah, yeah. he only paints images of the autistic kid who paints with his feet. Marco. 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 So that's right. so so you had your crew assembled. You have your band, and uh, you were able to defeat the killer clown with the power of death metal. So basically, kind of what we talked about with the gay, uh, we turned on the hate sensor, and the clown came out, and the clown actually kidnapped Marco and brought him into his lair. So we had to find the lair, solve a couple puzzles. Hillary Swank is great at puzzles, let me tell you that. She knows her way around puzzles. And we approached, and the clown came out, and he came out of the darkness, and he started shape shifting, so we just started playing. We just started shredding on and just echoing, and all the sound waves coming off. And we we played so hard that the sound waves started to, you know, have you ever seen a sock boom? Sure. You know how like this this kind of like mist comes out. That's literally sound waves pressing up on one another and then decompressing. And we started playing so hard and so fast that that just like waved out in waves and it kept hitting the clown and hitting the clown and hitting the clown and every time it hit the clown it took off some of his joy his hateful joy and some of his makeup and so we just tore apart the clown bit by bit until he just like he wasn't a clown anymore he was just a, a creepy, creepy fox dude. news analyst he was a fox news analyst and you know that was how he first met rush limbaugh and I, I mean, I, I wish the dude good luck from then on, but I knew, I knew this whole time he was going down. And uh, even though he's still employable, uh, the clown and the makeup and the hate was also sucked into your, your gayness um, containment unit. And that sort of overloaded it because it was uh, clashing styles, right? Yeah. Uh, and, well, so, was... and so your containment unit uh, actually did have a leak. It didn't explode, but it was close. And what did that that caused? Uh, well, that was that was the first riot, uh, and when the the gayness and the the hate and all that mixed and that leaked out, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was born, and we just haven't been able to put her back since. That's true. Nobody actually understands that Rosie O'Donnell was born at thirty. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just came right out. No one. I mean, I still can't prove it, but has anyone seen a picture of her from before? Has anybody ever seen a picture of her mother? No. Our beloved researcher, the Internati Harper, has just handed me a picture of Rosie O'Donnell's mother and essentially looks like a Russian nesting doll. Just a bigger Rosie O'Donnell with a smaller Rosie O'Donnell inside a smaller Rosie O'Donnell inside a smaller Rosie O'Donnell inside a smaller Rosie O'Donnell. And you know what happens? Go away, Addy. Leave leave inside a smaller Rosie O'Donnell. I, I feel like you don't have to be that harsh to the girl or your, your, your research or whatever. I mean, I have a couple assistants and I, I like Chet. He's, he's my assistant right now and he's, he's a nice guy. Uh, he's just trying to learn the ropes of music. Oh, well, our, our beloved researcher actually listened to one of your albums in our uh, sound listening booth, but unfortunately, that was for 
higher personnel, and the waves actually blew the joy right out of her as well as her feelings and her emotions. So you can be as mean to her as you want and nothing will ever happen. Addie just blinks and researches. That sounds like the perfect person, actually. We're actually... we're for college credit. Actually, we're currently working with the government to figure out ways in which we can use heavy metal to desensitize the population. Uh, because Why I, I, would you want to desensitize the population? Well, uh, in times of great stress or in times of like a natural disaster, if you're able to just like play shred off a cord and then you know maybe a, a volcano's about to erupt and you just shred a cord and then everybody's calm about it and they're okay and they file away in a very calm and and relate like you know slow manner they just walk single file to their uh to their sh- shelters and they don't they don't freak out because what happens in a uh a disaster is a lot of panic. And so we're just using heavy metal and screaming in order to make people calm. And how do you come up with your lyrics? Most, I mean, have you ever listened to lyrics before? I have, yes. So lyrics are basically poetry. Sometimes. And and I think that poetry comes from the heart. And so to me, it's, it's about... Listening to your heart and listening to what your heart has to say, and then just, even if it's a severed heart, even if it's a severed, bleeding, blackened, uh, grotesque, and a severed tongue, and uh, severed toes, and severed throat. No matter how much severance is in your heart, you have to bring it to the table. And so I, I just take whatever's in my heart and I write down a bunch of words, and then I pick the words randomly on a dartboard. And then I put them together and then you just say them as fast and as loud and as incoherently as possible. Because it doesn't really matter what you're saying when you're screaming it. It's all about posturing, right? It's all about stage presence. Your attitude matters more than the sense that you're making. Right, right. Now, uh, if you're holding a weapon, it's uh, easier to command a room than if you're not holding a weapon. So the weapon is your voice, and you are unleashing it on the audience. I mean, I'm also holding an axe, but yeah, my voice. Right. Your voice. It's a golden voice. It's a screaming loud voice. And it's the voice for Guitar World. Now, uh, what's next? What do, you, what do you have planned? What's the next tour? What's the next album? Who's, what's the next monster? So the next monster, I'm actually working currently right now with a new band, Eagles Are Us, and the the whole entire thing that our band does is we just scream like eagles for five minutes per track. We just just cry like eagles into the void. I didn't I didn't know an eagle could cry. Uh, eagles weep every time you hear an eagle. It's actually just weeping weeping for its its loss and for the passage of time and for everything that has happened eagles are very emotional creatures and they 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 feel a lot that we humans can't because they're more in tune with the airwaves and with the the wind as it brushes up against them airwaves carry emotion i already said this and it's guaranteed like airwaves carry emotion and eagles feel all the airwaves so we're gonna do a concert Actually, we have a, uh, a set at the 2020 Coachella. We're on a, one of the small stages, and we're going to release. We've, we've tried it out already. We release 18 eagles into the air as we play, and we tried it out in, uh, uh, in Houston at the Rage, Toil, and Death Party, and that ended very badly, so we're still trying to figure out how to work correctly with the eagles maybe maybe not soaking them in kerosene is a better way to go i mean once we threw that firecracker pinata i have never seen so many burning eagles now i do right now i do applaud you for trying to put a live eagle in a pinata uh it didn't quite work the way i uh, anticipated luckily no eagles were harmed uh, in fact the eagle uh, might have enjoyed it 
had it not uh, been starring from being in there for days, encased in confetti and uh, cheap Mexican glue. Well, we actually, uh, it was supposed to be that the wings would sprout out and it would fly like a Pegasus pinata, but the eagle had eaten all the candy that was in the pinata and gotten a little bit sick, so it just kind of sat there. And so when people opened up the pinata and just saw the eagle just there, they were so shocked. But it's fine now. It's it's fine. It's recovered completely, and Eduardo is flying up in the skies again. No, your band's on stage. The four horsemen of the apocalypse come raining down. They're coming towards you. What are you singing? What are you playing to defeat them? I think we play... I play my seminal, my seminal classic. This is the end of time, the beginning of death. And that is something that just, you play it and it talks about the four horsemen raining down and it talks about a champion, one champion who's there and he stands in the way. And as the four horsemen come, he just strums his guitar and it just blows them all away in a loud, epic, epic chord and it makes it feel like there's a battle going on. And as I'm playing, the, the horsemen are trying to get me. And it's just a song to remind people of the end times and how amazing life is and that God is great and that the world can be good. That's actually incorrect. Andy Slaughter Kittleberg. The article, I'm Just Riffin', Tales from the Tour, Guitar World. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, rock on, man. Rock on. Coming up next week on the sidebar, Chili Relentless. They're relentless. I'm Sebastian Morales, saying see you next time. <laughs>